Good morning, good morning. My name is Pastor Scott. So glad to have you with us here um, on what many of us feel like is probably the worst Sunday of the year, the spring forward, let's just be honest. Uh, but we're here and uh, glad to be together. Last week, Pastor Richard started a new sermon series for the season of Lent, which if you haven't spent a lot of time in the church, is the historical, uh, liturgical church preparation for the season and event of Easter. And so in Lent, we're preparing ourselves for what God wants to teach us. Last week, Pastor Richard began this I Am series where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And we continue this week, I continue this week with John 15, I am the true vine. Uh, so if you pray with me, we'll begin together. Father, thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your people gathered. We thank you for your people scattered. The people from this church are all over <clears throat> this morning. Uh, we just pray your spirit would continue to be in us. Father, we pray that you would open the scriptures up and teach us more about what it means to follow you. We want to know you, Lord, we want to grow into you, uh, into the fullness of the life uh, that you've called us to. So enlighten us this morning, embolden us, open our eyes and our ears and mostly our hearts to hear from you in new and fresh ways. And all God's people said, amen. I am the true vine, John 15, verses 1 through 8, if you have your Bibles with us. Um, I don't know how many gardeners are in the room, uh, people that enjoy working the soil and seeing something come out of it. We're hungry right now for the sun to show up and begin that season, uh, that ever so short season here in the Northwest. We're ready. Uh, a couple years ago, my wife said, we're going to grow peaches, which, you know, I thought hey, it might kind of a leap. You know, I think of warmer climates, a little bit drier climates. Uh, right now, it feels like we're growing moss as a community, but she wanted to grow peaches. So, you know, she bought two peach trees, one from Costco, very cheap, one from a high-end organic nursery that had been grown with all the right materials. It was amazing how differently those trees grew. And only one tree really started to bear fruit. Now, I didn't know this about a peach tree. It took several seasons before it was really ready to bear fruit. The first year, it had some buds. Uh, at the end of the second year, uh, last year, we, we were seeing some life like some little fruits, and they're growing. And, you know, my wife was ever so hopeful. She would go out and see the peaches grow, and it's like, this is happening. It's a miracle. And uh, these peach trees are out by the street around grass. And I don't garden a lot. I do enjoy mowing my lawn. I feel like it makes me a better human being when my grass is short. Um, and uh, if you see me, there's like an energy and an enthusiasm. There's often, you know, a headband and running shoes and music. And my, like, I'm not going to just mow. I'm going to attack this yard. And uh, so, you know, think of peach trees, grass around it. Pastor Scott with the headband, the socks up to his knees, going to get after this. The peach tree, the organic one, growing fruit. The wife's hopefulness, small, little, tiny, but peaches are happening. And, you know, I'm out there. I'm attacking the yard. And I'm like getting after it, back, back up, boom, into the tree, and about 10 of these tiny little beautiful peaches boom, hit the ground. And I'm mortified. I have two options at that point, right? Deal with the fact that I've now killed a whole season's worth of harvest, years of anticipation, and kind of just own it. Walk to the front door and deal with it. Or grab the tiny, small, disconnected peaches and try to kind of shove them in the branches so as to alleviate any scorn from my wife. All right, you know what I did. I grabbed the peaches and I just started placing them. And I knew it couldn't last forever, but I'm like, I can't deal with this today. I don't know what was going on. I was like, ah, I'm just today. Today I'm gonna just, you know, I'm gonna just grab these tiny little, they, they were so sweet and, you know, they looked so cute. And so I just started kind of placing them in the branches, hoping that nobody would notice. Guess what? Every, you know, it's like, 
it, it's not going to work, right? A couple days later, you know, the crow's like flying off with them, and my wife's crying about Peach. Listen, hun, you know, it's really my fault. The fruit was there, it was growing, it was good. I shook the tree, they fell, boom, dead. Because things not connected to a branch aren't going to live. Pretty simple. Like I had it, you know, and she wasn't that angry. She was upset. Um, but the point is this. We are much like the fruit. Our life needs to be connected to that which gives us fullness and sustenance and growth. And as silly as it is to be grabbing, you know, peaches disconnected from a peach tree and trying to kind of place them in the branches hoping no one would notice. So often in our lives, we go to those motions of trying to get the external fruit right of trying to do the right things that people are going to notice without worrying about the internal parts of our life. And as a church, we got to get this right. That Jesus says, you know, I am the true vine, and I want to change you from the inside out. That's the legacy of this church for 100 years. Church 100 years old, and some kind of founding members, some of you are some, you know, people, not founding members 100 years ago, sorry, but people that have been at Bethany for decades, people grabbed me after the service last week, say, well, you know, we have this legacy in the chapel. It's got decades ago, we wanted to like fill up these windows with the I am statements of Jesus. And you can walk in the chapel at Green Lake. I think we have this picture of this I am the vine. Uh, th these exist in our church because decades ago, people from this community said, we want to be reminded that only Jesus is the life which we aspire to. We don't want to be people rushing around trying to grab fruit, stick it in outside places, rushing towards, you know, whatever is the things that we should do as God's people were known by the connection to the source. And so today we're talking about I am the true vine. And when you think about, the, it's the book of John where, where Jesus says, I am. There's seven or eight of them if you study scripture. Seven of them, Jesus has a direct outcome of the I am. I am the bread. I am the life. I am the resurrection. I am the gate. And the eighth, Jesus just says, I am. It's actually what got him in the most hot water with, with, with Jewish people. They were questioning him in John 8, tell us who you are. And Jesus said, I am. And it rocked their world. Because in first century Israel, for someone to say the words, I am, was a correlation to them as, as Jewish people. Where they would know, well, that's what God said of himself. Because in the Old Testament, God says to Moses in the book of Exodus, when they, tell, when they ask you who you are or who you're speaking for, tell them simply, I am. And so in John 8, Jesus says this as the external arrival of the God incarnate. I am. And so for everybody gathered around Jesus, they knew when he said those words and when he said these I am statements in the book of John, two things had to be true. Either it was heresy and because of Levitical law, the Old Testament law, those things were not true. Either these words of Jesus means they're not true and we have to, you know, cast Jesus away or, or, or send him to death as we, as we kind of mourn on Good Friday. That's, that's logical outcome number one of an I am statement. The other thing is maybe it's true. If this guy said these things about him, it's either heresy or it's truth. But we are used to so many gradations of gray in our mind where it's like, well, what even is truth? For first century people hearing Jesus, they said it's either not true or it is true. And if Jesus is who he says he is, it means that he is life. He is the source. He is hope. He is the very thing that makes our life grow. 
And so as we start this I Am series, as we continue it, we have to continue to understand what is Jesus asking us to see about his life. Some of you in the room are saying, you know, I, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a Christian, I've been doing this for decades, I've studied this, I've taught it, I've thought about it. It's a different challenge this morning. If you've got us asking you to hear this in new ways, to be challenged with what is my life? What is the fruit of my life? Is the fruit coming from the source? Am I connected to the source? Others of you are like, man, I'm just... I'm kind of new to the game. I'm still thinking through this. You might begin with just that challenge. Is Jesus who he says he is? If so, then our life is lived in response. Or if not, then you're saying, I don't choose to follow him. We do have that option. I will tell you this morning, as we unpack this, I am the vine, that Jesus longs to encounter us and to give us his life, his spirit, his hope, so that our life would bear fruit. In this series, it's called I Am Enough. As we unpack the seven I Am statements of Jesus, where the, the heart of the whole message is that we would understand that Christ truly is enough. That in a world calling us to do more, be more, act more, respond more, put on more events, read more things, do more for the people I'm with, be different than the way that I am. We're constantly in this, in this, in this cycle of trying to, to grow and improve and be all that I that I'm, I, I'm wanting to be. There's only one source, friends. It's Christ. And Jesus says to us this morning, I am enough. And I am the vine, the very place that will speak to your needs. So often in the church, for me at least, I was raised, if you're hungry, it means something's wrong with you. And so we were taught to cover the longing up. You know, don't do this. Don't smoke. Don't drink. You know, don't dance. Don't, you know, we're, we're a religion of don't. And, and the Christ of the I am statements is a Christ of provision. I want to call you, says Jesus, to an abundant life. And you'll know it when you're connected to the source. For, for Jesus' people in first century hearing this, they would understand this motif because they grew up in an agrarian society. Grapes hanging on the vine, literally. Like outside of town. People making wine. Growing grapes. There's, there's grapes on the vine. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. They're like, you know, I just, I just saw that 10 minutes ago. I know exactly what he's talking about. For us, not so much. Some of us have been to Napa, Sonoma, wine growing region. So we've, we've strolled uh, through vineyards. We understand the, the older a vine is, the thicker the trunk. We understand that, that, that healthy fruit comes from a really close connection to the source. But Jesus' day said, I want to speak to you in terms you're familiar with. For us, it's probably more of a familiarity with the city where jesus says i am the life of the city come and build your home in me to jesus people he says i am the true vine and he says it over and over again in scripture psalm 80 you brought a vine out of egypt and planted it hosea 10 israel was a vine that yields its fruit jeremiah 12 many people have trampled my vineyard isaiah 5 my beloved was a fertile vineyard on a hill this motif of wine and grapes in scripture occurs over 80 times jesus himself speaks of it much but the big idea that we want to get to this morning, the big idea is, is this I am, I am the vine tells followers that you're not meant to merely change, but we are meant to grow. And the life of fulfillment and fullness is found in one place in Jesus himself. And so our thesis this morning is that we're invited as, as Jesus followers to a confident posture of trust that comes from making our home in Jesus and from this new home the life of the Christ follower is constantly urged to grow into a fullness of understanding the reality that God is the provider. And so to do those things, we, we've got to kind of 
we kind of got to line up our steps. First, Jesus calls us to in John 15, come to me. And then, understanding that growth happens through a constant source and series of, of prunings, he says, you, you will be cut in the life of a, a Jesus follower. But ultimately, have confidence that I'm calling you to something bigger and more beautiful than you can ever picture without me. And so in your outline this morning, you have these three C's, this come, this be cut, this have confidence, that the, the posture of a disciple is this coming and understanding our pruning and then being sent out into God's world. Let's begin the first point. I think you got an outline when you came in. It'll also be behind me. Come. To grow as Christ followers, there's, there's this call to come and receive inwardly. And I'm looking now at John 15, verses 1 through 5. The, the coming to Jesus, it's got to happen first. The inward trajectory, the inward growth can fuel all of our external desires. It's got to start with our first step toward Jesus himself. He says in verse 1 through 5 of chapter 15, I'm the true vine, my father's a gardener, setting up the motif. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. Okay, remember that. That's a significant verse, chapter, verse 2, chapter 15, one that kind of rocked my world this week. Everyone gets cut. You see that? Verse 2, everyone gets cut. The fruitful, the not, the not fruitful. So it'll be even more fruitful. Everyone's going to get cut. We'll talk about that next. Verse 3, you're already clean because the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, says Jesus, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. John 15, verses 1 through 5. We need to come and receive inwardly before we can do anything external in our life. The primary concern, John 15, we talk about this chapter, and this is a familiar chapter in life of people that are Jesus followers. What's he really talking in the first half of the chapter? It's, it's growth. There's this trajectory of growth and a fullness and fruitfulness and, and, and more, and, and God doing something. And that, that in verse 2, you have no fruit to bear fruit to more fruit to verse 5, much fruit. Not just changing, but actual growth. Like this is the, the heartbeat of verses 1 through 8. We are called to be growing. And Christ growing in us and understanding the real life is Jesus doing something inside of us. It's not the next vacation. It's not the fulfillment of, you know, my kids got into this program or this school. It's not, you know, what's happening with my roommate. Though we're, we're constantly hungry for where will my more be. Jesus says, there's the life of a believer. It's, it's in much fruit with me. As I grow inside of you, it's the grapes like the vine. That's what I want to do in you. There's a trajectory of a Christian life that gets explained in John 15. But we've got to get the order right or this will drive us crazy. Because we're people hungry for more. We're hungry for action. We're hungry to show up. And we want to talk about race and justice as a church. 800 people, the sanctuary, a classroom, we're down the aisle. We want to talk about it. It's complicated, people say, all week, calling me. It's complicated. I understand that. Just continue to have the conversation. For some people, it's not complicated. They've experienced much discrimination. Other people are like, oh, I feel like we've totally arrived. Okay, well, it's complicated. Let's continue to talk about it. We're hungry to do stuff. But our order here in John 15 is that we've got to grow first in our connection to the source. And that Christ wants to be our provider and our sustainer, the first role in growth come got to get that step right i mean as a kid growing up in the church you know they would show me you know they like once a year is like missions fair it's like you know they would pass out you know handouts of like different jungle things you could do and in, in short-term missions for kids you know i'm like man, I, I, I hunger for adventure 
a hunger to do something of value with my life. I'll go to the jungle. I don't know what we're going to do. I want to go. I want to do stuff. I didn't even know that what we were going to do was out of the outflow of a connection to Christ because I wasn't connected at that point. It wasn't until I was 18 years old. I said, yeah, I have need. Jesus, I want to I want to have a relationship with you, and I want that to be the first step in my life, above my marriage, above my career, above my children, above anything else. First things first, we want to come. We need to come. That external progress comes from an internal connection. External progress comes from an internal connection. The first thing is to come. You can see this all over the place. You see it in your marriage. Like, I'm going to do a date night. It's not born out of a pursuit of emotional intimacy. It's going to be just seeking the fruit, but not an internal transformation. The external thing happens after the internal transformation. See, with your children, like, you know, if you could just do things differently, but if you're not connected to them, we're snapping to behaviors, our life's not being changed. It says, I'm not after that kind of life. I want internal transformation leading towards external change. It's going to show up. There's this, you will be my disciples in verse 8. There's a very kind of harsh word at the end. But the first order of business is we need to come. The fruit comes from the organic connection. The external flow flows from the inward change. So what does that look like? It means we have, you know, I told you, I brought that speaker in. I've been like leading this initiative for the church of having these conversations about race. We've got to enter the conversation. You know, it's this you know, kind of a triumphant day, actually. She came and spoke, Romanita Harrison over. She's a very brilliant woman. Very, very smart and totally grounded in the Bible. And to- her message was all about internal transformation first leading to external change. She spoke to our, chat, our staff midday about mercy and about we can fulfill the letter of law with race and justice issues, but if our heart's not merciful, if we don't have God's spirit in us, then we're just snapping to rules. She said even with race and justice, she says, don't care about it that much. Care first about your relationship with Christ. I'm sitting in the front row, my jaws drop. I'm like, she's so right. So this is kind of a triumphant day. She speaks to the church in the evening. We walk out, I'm feeling pretty good. Good day, good day. I've got four kids. We get to the car, a fight breaks out. Who's going to sit in the front seat? You sat in the front seat here. You said they're, they're not, the kids are now arguing. And, and, and they're fighting. I mean, we just like, you know, the pastor that led the transformation initiative. You know, it's like my own kids are like, you know, fighting. They're like beat down about who gets to sit where in the car. It's ridiculous. And I'm screaming at them. Like, I hope nobody from church is driving by me on a roar. I'm like, hey, you know, we just heard this speaker talking about transformation. And you guys, uh," you know, and they said, well, I'm sorry. And I said, I don't want you to be sorry. I want you to change. I want you to change. I want our hearts as a family to change. More kindness, more mercy. Not just snapping towards rules, but from the inside out. Saying we're trying to grow in our fullness of love. Of Jesus changes the way we treat one another. The external fruit comes from the internal connection, Jesus says. You're already clean, verse 3. Why does he say that? Because this is the discourse around the table. He's already washed their feet. John 11, he he gathers them, he he washes their feet. Verse 13. He gathers them and he's going to wash his feet. 13, sorry. The next seven or eight chapters all happen around this table in the book of John. I've made you clean, says Jesus. Now be connected to me, first things first. No matter what we do after this moment, says Jesus, you've got to come to me first. That's the life of the disciple. And I'm 
not a huge, you know, gardener. I've already told you, like, really my, my scope is, is, is the, the mower. But, you know, it's pretty profound when you start to see the way that God has ordered the world and the root system for any kind of tree. That the root system, most arborists say, typically, depending on the variety, but typically is two to three times the, the plumage and the external top of a tree. And most trees, though there's some deviation, most trees, the roots need to grow first and deeper and wider. And then the fruit comes, the leaves, the, the produce, the whatever is growing on the top. And the point is simply this, is you cannot shoot the root system. You cannot shoot the roots. And people we want to shoot the moon, man. I want to do great things with my life. I would love you to see me as a man that's done wonderful things in my family, with the church, with my career. Like, I, I, want, to, I want to snap towards doing stuff. But we don't outshoot the roots. That's saying, first things first is check your root system. Who are you in your internal spaces? And in your internal spaces, are you coming to the source of life? And not grabbing peaches and trying to stick them in the branches of a tree so that people are kind of seeing fruit. Are you worried about the roots? Christ is attempting to transform us to make us all that he's calling us to be. He's not into compliance. He wants real growth and change for us. If you come spend some time in my office, which I hope you do at some point, there may be a candle burning. There will also be three potted plants on a little IKEA glass table in my office. And people say, I like your plants. They're fake, actually. Because my wonderful assistant Mary kept bringing plants in. And I got so busy doing stuff, I'd never water them. So finally, about a month, you know, this is in our, even our old office. Say, hey, do you like your plants? I'm, yeah, they look great. But they're fake. I said, you're kidding me. I went months without realizing these little suckers. Because Christ is not calling us to be putting fake little plastic things in our life. The people say, oh, you know, they're this kind of person, that kind of person. I drove by him on Aurora. I don't, I don't think he was yelling at his kids at that point. He's saying, you cannot shoot the roots. Make your roots at home in me. You've got to come first. And then as we come, there's this second word, a hard word for us, this cutting, second point of our outline, cut. To grow, there's a promise of pruning. We're cutting away. I prepped all week on this message. This morning, the Spirit was kind of convicting me. I don't like that word necessarily, cut. I like to alliterate so that it might stay in your head. But for some people that have had family of origin issues where people you love have got into cutting, there's nothing funny about it or alliteration. It's actually a little insensitive, so I wish I could strike it this morning. Nothing funny about people that try to cut for control. It's a really sad thing. This is not that. This is an alliteration to coming to Christ, and it's a synonym of pruning. That in life of a disciple, the pruning happens. Look at verse 2 and look at verse 6. John 15, verse 2, I already highlighted. He cuts off Jesus the Father, in this case, to the vine, Jesus in us, he cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. The cutting and the pruning are both happening, so it'll be even more fruitful. And then verse 6, verse 6 is this, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. One way or the other, there's a promise that cutting's going to happen. That in this life, that we are a cut people. We are a pruned people as disciples. Though I'm not projecting any kind of like negativity. The reality is as disciples in John 15, everyone gets cut. And in the Greek here, the Greek used is a katharoi. It's a cleansed people. But actually the pruning means you're cleansed in the original Greek language. And make, no, make no mistake about it. This is a tough word. Jesus is speaking to disciples at this point. The context is everything in John. 
He's gathered with the men that he spent three years with, and he's saying, if you really want to follow me, I'm going to, I've got a harsh word for you. Jesus' words of mercy and healing and hope are absolutely true. When Jesus encounters people far from him, he's got one thing to say to them. You need the life that I've got for you. You need the water. You need the bread. He says, I love you. You're already clean. Now come into fullness with me. Jesus wants people far from him to know they're going to be okay if they make their home in him. But for Jesus' real followers here, he's saying, you'll be a cleansed people as you're cut. And as we studied this this week, it's been really challenging for me, to be honest. I'm like, what? Everyone gets cut? I kind of thought like the cutting was going to be the pruning for people outside of this fruitfulness. No, everybody will be cut. So disciples, if we're like, all right, the pruning life of a disciple that sometimes can hurt a great deal, we might ask, is the, is the cutting counterproductive? Is, is the cutting that Jesus is doing, is it, is it counterproductive? Fruitless and fruitful in verse 2, everybody gets pruned. Well, it's kind of part of the life cycle of the Christian life, that we can't avoid pain. We can't avoid being shaped. We can't avoid bad days. We can't avoid challenges in the workplace. We can't avoid these arguments with our own children as we're trying to do something, a purpose in the world. And it's, it's the life of the, of the pruning. It's a pruning life. As in the garden of life, you won't grow without pruning. We have, you know, I mean, you get it. You've pruned, many of you. You have apple trees. You have peach trees. And most top-notch, grade-A vineyards in the world, you know what the percentage of of new vines that get cut every year? Over 90%. And so every year, this time of year, there's, there's shears out. They want the best grapes in the world. How will they get there? They're going to cut. They're going to cut, and they're going to cut, and they're going to cut. Over 90% of last year's growth, they're going to cut. And you might walk and stroll through the vineyard like, man, they cut all the good stuff. They cut all the growth. But the, in the vineyard, the vintner knows the closer the grapes are to the vine, the better and richer the fruit. Okay, that's powerful. Because they're going to be cutting, 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 knowing that we want their fruit to be close to the vine. And Jesus says, in the life of following me, there's no escaping a life that feels like, at times, the Greek is ipso facto being cut, or cleansed, or purified, or purged. That's just the way it's going to be. God's hope in us is not to rough us up for the sake of roughing us up, but of cutting us and making us all that he's calling us to be. First we're come, and then we're cut. C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, that's exactly what Christ warned us you could not do. As he said, a thistle cannot produce figs. If I'm a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce weed. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I shall still produce grass and no weed. If I want to produce wheat, Lewis writes, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and re-sown. And so often in the Christian life, we say, hey, you know, you know, come to Monday's event or serve with our kids or, you know, kind of snap to these behavior. But the reality is that we need our, our soil retilled. If we're going to actually bend metal, we're needed to heat the metal. You try to just bend metal without heating it and, and trying to shape it, then it's going to break or it's going to snap back. But if there's this long, slow heating, changing, then over the course of time, that metal can be corrected. And the life of a field, the, the, the soil needs to be tilled up. And so in cutting, in pruning, in hard seasons, in things that don't go exactly as we plan, God is preparing our soil for new things. God is roughing us up at times. He's facing us onward and upward. We don't have the slightest idea what God wants to make out of us. But in John 15 tells us, you'll, you'll be cut in order to bear 
more fruit. And so, though it's challenging, but to the disciple, we can pursue encouragement in the face of the cutting. I don't know what's happening here. The season is really hard with my marriage. I don't know what's happening here. I was going to do this thing with my life, and my career seems to be going over here. I don't know what's happening right now with school. I was going to get straight A's this quarter. It's not like there's a cutting element, but for the disciple, they're saying, yeah, I want to improve, Jesus. I want to know your life inside of me, and so every difficulty I face, I want to be encouraged. Not that things turn out fruitful all the time, because there's seasons of just waiting for the fruit. But if we're trying to pursue this growing in Christ and understanding that the cutting seasons will actually make us more pruning if our heart is prepared. If we're saying, I want to understand more of you, God. It's all through the scriptures. Abraham, lay a son on the table. Then God, I want to follow you first. God spares Isaac. When Joseph gives up his dream in prison, when Paul always wanted to go to Asia and never got there, when Moses wanted to get to the promised land and doesn't yet get there, when Mary and Joseph have an idea of a different engagement story, when David wants to build his temple, all these people wanted to do something with their life, and God says, cut, cut, time out. It's me inside of you, not you're just fruit on your own. And Hebrews 11 says, all these people, every single one died without receiving what they wanted, but they got something more. They got God's life living inside of them. And so we have our dreams, we have our goals, we have our ambitions, we have the way it's going to turn out. And then for seasons that things are just not going exactly as we had kind of sought for, we might understand that it's an opportunity to grow God's faith in us. Because oftentimes getting to the bigger yes is often a series of no. Right? You can look back and say, getting to the bigger yes in my life was a series. You know, oh, yeah. You think about that vocationally. Speak to somebody a little bit older in the room. And so, well, yeah, I started out doing this, and that was not fruitful for me. So then I did this, and then I did this. And for most millennials being launched now, they're saying, you know, seven to 13 jobs in your lifespan or more. Because getting to the bigger yes is often a series of no. And so we need to understand that there's this cutting and shaping and pruning cycle to our lives. And God says, but I'm going to use these times, if your heart is open, to grow you into my disciples. And so it doesn't mean we're reckless and we go around just trying to cut things. You know, my, my neighbor had one of those, you know, really long pole saws, but it's a chainsaw. I'm like, hey, I want to do a little pruning. I had this little, like, boop, boop. He's like, dude, you got the wrong tool. You got to use my pole saw. It's got, like, 30 horsepower. There's a chainsaw 20 feet out. I'm like, this thing is awesome. So I'm like walking around in my backyard like, what else can I cut? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prune back the trees. Hey, healthy things, you need to be pruned. I'm all over this thing. You put a chainsaw in someone's hand, it's like, you're just going to need to cut some. So I'm like walking around. You know, I like give everything this like massive haircut in the back. My wife comes home. Yeah, I make her sound really uptight. She's not here to, she's not uptight at all. But she comes home, she's like, you massacred the trees. I'm like, but I was just trying to cut stuff, you know? She's like, that's not how it's done. Like, no more pole chainsaws. Like, we don't need to be reckless with the cutting. We don't need to be trying to live a life where we're like, you know, just trying to like somehow take things away arbitrarily. We can trust in the life of disciples. If we come towards Jesus, we will face times that feel like cutting and pruning. God says, but have your heart open during these seasons because the life of disciples often... Getting to the bigger yes, a series of no's. And trust me that I can be even in the really hard seasons of life. And just even a word about saying no. You know, Bob Goff in all his 
writings of encouragement. He's a Christian pop writer right now, but he says, you know, I, every week I try, to, I try to say no to one thing. I try to quit one thing. Now, that might feel kind of reckless to people in the room, but for many of us in the room, we're in a, we're in a constant state of yes, more. You know, more opportunities for my kids, or more volunteer things, or more of this, or more of this, or more of this. And, and maybe God is saying to you this morning, no. Like, before you do the next big thing, come to me. And maybe you need to say no to something this week in order to get to God's bigger yes. Because we can become very, very busy, grabbing the down fruit of our lives, trying to kind of snap towards things looking good. But the order of importance is come first, be cut second, and lastly, it's this third point of our outline, that we have confidence. We rest in the confidence that God's going to do something with us. That we don't have to worry that we're going to be outside of God's fruitful journey. The confidence is, this is an assurance of abundance that comes out of John 15. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me, if you would. Jesus says, if you remain in me, if you've come to me and you're trying to make a home in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is what it's all about, says Jesus. I long to give you what you wish for. And I long for you to bear fruit. I long for you to look like disciples. The end of verse 8. But if we're, we're out of order, if we've not come to him first, then we've got all sorts of examples of what I've just been sharing about, where we're trying to snap towards external fruit without internal transformation. But Jesus says there's a confidence there's an assurance of abundance of my life in you. And this is real challenging for us because if you're like me, we're prone to preemptively define the fruit of our lives. We're prone to say, oh, I know what you want from me, Jesus. You want, you know, this thing to happen for somebody I love. You, you want this job to happen. You want this trajectory. This is very challenging for people, you know, under 30 in the room. We can name the fruit. It's, it's the ring, or it's the child, or it's the next child, or it's the children I have leaving home, or, you know, it's the job. It's like, we're, na- we're fruit namers, right? Are you like that, or is it just me? Like, you know what you want God to do next, right? There's no mystery. There's no awaiting it. You've named it. That's not the life of the disciples. I mean, I went through this so, this challenge was so big for me in my early 30s. I was naming fruit. I want a life of fullness. God, I want to be even more dangerous for people in ministry. Because you say the fruit is for God's sake, not ours. So it's like, I really don't want anything, God, but I know. I know what you'll do. I live by University of Washington. There's cherry blossoms on the campus of University of Washington. I loved, in the past, I was a high school English teacher. I was in ministry. Man, I'm stitching, I'm stitching a narrative. You know what God's called me to? I'm going to be a college professor. I'm going to go to University of Washington. I'm going to apply to one PhD program. I'm, I'm going to become a, a professor at University of Washington. And I'm going to disciple kids. Man, I'm naming fruit. I, I had the blazer picked out with the elbow pads, man. I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to be a professor. This is wonderful. Just, you know, get my grades up, my GRE. And, and uh, you know, like, this is going to be great. I, like, literally, I, I was like, will I wear the blazer with the elbow pads? Some of you professors like, I don't wear blazers in the classroom. But that's okay. Like, for me, I was naming the fruit. I could smell the cherry blossoms. Well, think how wrecked I am when I find out you don't get into the program. Year one, I find out deep, deep, deep in the process, you know, I'm like a finalist on somebody's desk. Year two, I'm naming the fruit that much more. This thing's a slam dunk. I was a finalist on somebody's desk last year. Okay, sweet. Blazer, here we go. Boom. I apply in January. It might not have been February 1st when they said, we are sorry to inform you, you did not get into the program. 
God, what are you doing? Like, I, I was going to do this stuff, and I was going to do it for you, and I was going to be on this campus, and I was going to cutting. Like, I'm naming the fruit. God says, the, the role of the grape is not to define it, its fruitfulness. It's just simply to remain and let the vine control the trajectory of the fruit. But we can have confidence if we're on this pathway of growth in our life, not just change, but growth. That the season that God has us in, if our, our heart is coming to him first and trusting the cuttings and the prunings, we can trust that my life's gonna matter someday to God. In small ways or big ways. My name in marquee or my name just popular with a few people that I disciple in my hallway. We don't, we don't get to name the fruit. We just get to abide and come and make a home with Christ inside of us. And there's this confidence there that, that we can be changing and conforming. Look at Romans 1-2 where Paul says this. He says, therefore, and we've got the slide, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. We're meant to be growing, transforming, God doing something powerful in us. But we don't know what that looks like. And it gets really dangerous if we're trying to name the fruit and say exactly what we want God to do because it won't happen in that timeline. The role of the disciples come. And know that cutting happens and have this confidence that God will be for us and in us and through us because we were made for more. We were made for more. You were made for more. You are God's workmanship. He's made you for more, more of him inside of you. You are made for more. You are already clean. But as disciples trying to follow Jesus, what is the marker of our church? I want to be more. I want to do more with what Jesus wants to do inside of me. You were made for more. We don't get to name the fruit. A professor at Whitworth College, a friend of mine, I haven't seen him for many years now, and he was naming the fruit. His name's Dale Bruner. He was a young man. He was going to go to the Philippines. He was going to teach and write and, and create Bible schools, and he was naming it for God, and, and, and he started his work, and nobody came. Nobody came. He was tremendously disappointed, super discouraged. He's going to do all these fruitful things, but nobody came. So he moves to a small little college in Spokane off the beaten path, convinced that maybe God had forgotten about him. Started to teach small little Bible classes. When I was there in the 90s, he'd sign up. There'd be 20, 30 people in his class. And the guy was like really sharp. He's got most of the book of Matthew. No, all of Matthew memorized. He's teaching from memory. And his life just got about discipleship in Jesus Christ, doing small things often, small investments. Not worrying about the trajectory of his life, but loving his wife well. Not worrying about changing the whole world, but loving his kids well. Going to work every day, in this case in a university classroom, trusting that God was going to do something with him. And sure enough, in the last 10 years, he moved back to California, which was his dream. He started to write, publish. He's one of the foremost scholars right now in Matthew, John. I mean, all sorts of fame, decades out of order. He said the role for him as disciple was to, to realize his job was simply to come to Christ and not name the fruit, but let the cuttings of his life continue to grow him and then have confidence that God would do something with his trajectory. And as I prepared this message for you guys this week and I prayed and I thought, 
I went over the cards. We had all the cards that you guys have filled out over the last four to five weeks as we were in our last sermon series. People were naming the things they wanted God to do in their life, in the world, in their relationships, on, on the issue of the day. The people from this church were writing me those response cards and we were taping them to the panels. And I was pouring over hundreds of them, hundreds and hundreds. And, and the theme that I kept seeing is got people saying, I want, I want more. I want more life in my marriage. I want more fulfillment in my career. I want more hope of Jesus. I want more. I want more. I want more. Jesus says in this passage today, trust me, the more that you long for is an internal transformation leading towards external progress. Come and understand the life of discipleship looks a lot of times like cutting and discouragement and pruning. But have a confidence, says Jesus, that I will do something powerful in your life as you continue to make your home in me. Will you pray with me now? Father God, thank you so much for the reminder from Scripture that as disciples, men and women following you, that you are trying to not just merely change us in, in these external ways, Lord, but you really are calling us towards growth and a trajectory and a fulfillment that discipleship looks like this internal connection leading towards an external gratification. And so, Father, we, this morning, we come to you. We, we're, we're very mindful that we've been naming fruit. We're, we're very, uh, we're, we're trying to, to get to the places where we want you to fix these external things. And, and though that matters to you, God, because it matters to us, this morning is a good reminder for us that the first step of us as disciples is to come to you and to seek you and to open our hearts to you and that, that we can trust that in a life that often feels like cutting and pruning, that you will do a great work in us. Because the work, if we're coming as disciples, Lord, is your life growing inside of us. We want more of you in us, Jesus. We want more hope, more joy, more patience, more understanding, more of those fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about in the New Testament. We want that stuff. It comes from one place, Jesus. And that's your life inside of us. God, we, we're, as we continue to pray this morning, we're just mindful that as, as your people, all of us in this room, some of us feel far from you this morning, you might be telling us one thing, just come. Seek me in prayer. I'm slowing down. Or some of us in the room are, are kind of thinking through this, this issue of pruning and cutting in a life and a season that maybe feels very difficult and challenging. We're nursing great wounds. There's nothing lighthearted about being cut. Lord, would you bandage the wounds of those afflicted this morning in emotional ways, in spiritual ways, in physical ways? Would you bandage the wounds? Would you grow faith out of where it is faithless this morning? Father, we want to be confident that you are the God of the universe and that this I am statement means that our life should be lived in response of that. God, give us your confidence. Give us your hope, your grace, your mercy, so that we would be showing ourselves as your disciples in this city. Light us up, God, with your life inside of us. In your great name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us as we continue in song? As always, there's prayer team people down front. If you just feel like praying over something in your life, or if you stay in your seat, as you stay in your seat as we sing, come, be cut, have confidence. God's doing his work in us. Let's continue in song.